Alan. This morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. So if you're somebody who likes to follow along in a hard copy Bible, uh, you can turn to Mark 10 right now. We'll have that on the screen in a bit when we read it. We're going to look at this exchange between James and John and Jesus. Uh, We're also going to look at what Jesus has to say in response and how this uh, might inform how we act today. Now, in my household, in my life right now, I am gaining a ton of skill in the art of bargaining. I'm talking about very serious bargaining and negotiation, high-stakes consequences, which is to say I'm getting really good at bargaining with toddlers. It's a fascinating uh, art that I've just learned within the last several weeks. My wife, Sarah, and I, we have one-year-old twins, and we are bargaining with them every day. We're coming to the table. We want to get something out of it, and it's pretty successful. It's, it's something I haven't done before, and I've taken a lot of joy in recently. When it comes to cleaning up toys or getting them dressed or moving from one location to another, I'm really bargaining all the time. And you know, I'm not saying this to give any sort of advice, but really noting that that is very much our reality right now. For example, we go to a park a few blocks from our house at an elementary school, and we have to bargain to get out of there because the boys are having so much fun. So they're refusing to leave the slides, refusing to leave uh, the whole fenced-in area, and I'll say, if you get in the stroller, I'll give you a snack. And their eyes light up like I've just offered them the world. Little did they know they were going to get one either way, but that's why I'm the better bargainer right now. And sometimes if that doesn't work, I say, if you get in the stroller, you can take a bath when you get home. And that's really exciting, and they run right to it. That was always the plan. They take baths every day, so it's not like I really was offering them the world, but it's working. Now, I'm a poor, poor bargainer when it comes to making a big purchase. No one worshiping here today would want to send me to the car dealership to buy them a car. I am a total pushover. I will pay the sticker price rather than bargain it down just to get out of there because that whole situation makes me uncomfortable. I'm, I'm not into that, but right now my ceiling is bargaining and negotiating with uh, one-year-olds. Now, in our passage today, we're going to see James and John bargain with Jesus. They want something, and they are very direct about what they want. So we're going to look at their request to Jesus in Mark 10, and we see Jesus make some big claims in his response too. So we're going to look at that together as we think about what those claims Jesus makes, what that means for us in our lives today. So let's look together, Mark chapter 10, we're going to be starting in verse 35, going all the way to verse 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He, Jesus, asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? 
We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This God's word for us this morning from Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. So we'll start by looking at James and John and the role that they play in this encounter. They very directly tell Jesus what it is that they want. They're trying to bargain. They're trying to enter into an agreement without appreciating what it is that they need to do. Because when you bargain, you're, you give something to get something. And all James and John seem to be honed on in this exchange is what they're going to get. If you look at verse 35, they say, we want you to do for us whatever you ask. They're bargaining, even leaning on the edge of demanding of Jesus, which we're in Mark 10 here. If you look at what happens in Mark 1 through verse 9, uh, pretty wild of James and John to be approaching Jesus to bargain and to to make demands of this extent. In doing so, James and John, they aren't thinking about how much they're prepared to give in this bargain. Because with a bargain, something has to be given up. A sacrifice has to be made. Think back to my example I shared of, you know, when my family departs the park. You know, yes, my boys get the joy of going home to take a bath. Maybe we'll even use bubbles. Maybe they'll play with their favorite toys, which is, you know, just cups in the tub. But to do that, in that bargain, they make a little bit of a sacrifice. They get in the stroller, they leave the park, they leave behind the fun that they'd been having at the playground. Now, James and John here in Mark 10, they aren't seeing their side of the bargain. They're not grasping the sacrifice that they would have to make. They say, Let me sit at your right hand, Jesus. One at the right, one at the left. This is where a person of authority would figuratively be placed in this day. We'd like to have two positions of authority, both of them, Jesus, is what they're requesting. And interestingly, they're trying to do this without the other ten disciples knowing. I know if I was in their shoes, my trust level in James and John would be pretty shattered once I heard about this encounter. But James and John don't come out of this looking good because they miss the point in two big and obvious ways. We've talked about the fact that they don't grasp their half of it, what they have to bring to the table. Jesus is talking about sharing his cup and sharing in his baptism, alluding to the suffering and the carrying of the cross, both literally and figuratively, that he's about to do. And they nod in agreement but they failed to grasp what all of that will entail in this moment. 
And then in a, a bigger picture sense, they fail to understand what Jesus' power is truly about. What type of power are they seeking here? They're seeking power that they see in neighboring kingdoms or in the structures of their world. And they're taking that and applying it to this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, saying, we want in on that. We want not just a seat at the table, but the best seats at the table. So let's think about that power a little more together. They have asked to sit at Jesus' right and at Jesus' left. The verse tells us, in his glory. Now Jesus has made it pretty clear in the Gospels. We can see it as we're reading, but the disciples struggle to soak in the reality that what Jesus is doing in his ministry is going to lead to something big. Now, when we look at particular passages in Scripture, like this morning, often we just look at a segment, you know, maybe 10 to a dozen verses, kind of in isolation. But if you read the Gospel of Mark, verse 1, and carry on, it's interesting. You'll, you'll keep noting Jesus' foreshadowing, sometimes cryptically, sometimes directly, what is awaiting him from when his earthly ministry starts, when he's baptized by John in the wilderness, all the way until he enters into Jerusalem. While people are not totally certain what that's going to look like, the disciples included, there's no question that something big is coming. So if we want to be human and understand a little bit of what James and John are feeling, clearly they see something big is happening and and they want in on it. They understand Jesus is destined for glory, but there's a heavy toll that he has to carry to get to that glory. You know, at this point in the story, Jesus is about to head to Jerusalem. If you look at your Bible, we're in Mark 10 right now. In Mark 11, Jesus heads to Jerusalem. And he heads to Jerusalem on a mission that's going to end in suffering, pain, death, and ultimately redemption. And that's something that we'll remember more intimately in a little bit when we celebrate communion together. But Jesus has communicated this to his disciples, and here, specifically James and John, are struggling to understand that which he's foreshadowed. But this power that Jesus is talking about is very clearly different from James and John's earthly conceptions of power and today to the conceptions of power we have about how the structures of our world work. Jesus, in his response, even talks about that directly to the disciples. He talks about how the rulers of today have what I would call it, in my translation, a power trip. They are proudly exercising authority over those under them. In verse 42, Jesus states that they're lording their power, the Gentile rulers around them, over those below him. So Jesus is unfolding what he's all about. We're getting a greater understanding of what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of God entails. And Jesus is talking about power by talking about servanthood. Mark 10 
44, Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be first must be a servant of all. Looks very different. Those in authority, as we normally think of it, have many people serving them, reporting to them, and reporting to people who report to people who report to people who report to them. And Jesus is describing power that is flipping that totally on its head. Sitting at Jesus' right hand and at Jesus' left hand, as James and John are requesting here, it doesn't look like they think it looks like. It looks like serving others. So how about that for an answer? James and John you know, make a simple ask, a little pushy, but you know, they're looking to get what they want out of this. And how do you imagine they walk away from that feeling? Maybe embarrassed, maybe humbled, or perhaps angry if they thought that what they'd planned together here was going to pan out, and ultimately it doesn't. They thought they were bringing their A-game, they'd walk away with status. Clearly, they had maybe mentally burned some bridges between the other ten disciples if they were willing to make this step and break from them. But it turns out they were not even asking the right question at all. Can we relate to this? Can you relate to having a conversation with God only to later realize you weren't even asking the right questions to begin with? Maybe realizing in hindsight your posture was speaking to someone with authority as we might picture it in the corporate world or in local government. But this authority that Jesus has is so different. Hence this bargaining session with James and John did not go quite as planned. So as we look at their exchange here, we need to call the question to ourselves as well, which is simply, how do you bargain with God? We look at this story in Scripture, and it's easy to think of it as you know, something that happened long ago to look at from a distance. But I want you to chew on this question while we're together in worship and maybe as the week goes on. Because I believe a, a lot of us have been in situations where we've bargained with God. We might not directly call it that, but in some way, shape, or form, we bargain with God in our prayers or in the ways we go about our thoughts directed towards God. It could be that you've been in prayer before saying, God, come through for me in this situation, and I will be so faithful. You're going to get X number of prayers a day, perfect attendance at worship, going to read my Bible cover to cover. That's a form of bargaining that we might do to seek God's instant favor. You might ask yourself or ask God in, in prayer, if you make this happen for me, I am going to repay you by doing X, by doing Y, by doing Z, but God, show me this first. What James and John are doing here is, is really not so foreign. And I think if we're accurately assessing our interactions with God and times during which we bargain, we see that we have a little bit of James and John in us as well. Sometimes we find ourselves trying to reap the so-called benefits of God without putting in the time to truly know God. 
Now, James and John, if they had really grasped what Jesus was about and what he was building towards, they would know that such a question, such an inquiry would be foolish. But like James and John, we also sometimes try or desire to reap these benefits of God without truly investing our lives to God's work in the world. That's one thing for us to read about specific people in the Bible and then ruminate on their poor decision-making skills and shake our heads from a distance, but it's another thing to read Scripture and to then look in the mirror. So I encourage you, as we're worshiping, as we continue in worship today, to consider ways that you might engage in a little bargaining with God. Take some time to consider if you're playing some of these similar games that we see James and John playing here. And the good news is, if, if your answer is yes, uh, that Jesus has an answer for us in Scripture too. And Jesus has mercy for us when we do what we think is right, but turns out to be off target. Now, there is a difference between going to God seeking discernment and going to God trying to bargain. When we're discerning with God, we want to understand what God's call is for our life rather than manipulate a situation for our benefit. That's what James and John are doing in this encounter, and Jesus responds to their bargaining in a way that teaches them that this isn't what's going on. So God is in the business of equipping us to serve and to live out our calling. So rather than bargaining, we need a posture of discernment when it comes to us being at a crossroads or us looking for God to speak very specifically in our lives. But at the end of the day, James and John, they wanted authority. They wanted authority like they'd seen elsewhere. But the authority that Jesus holds is not of this world. And unlike any comparable authority in their day or in our day, to understand a little more of that, we need to focus on the last verse that we read together. That's Mark 10, 45. Jesus says to them in, in conclusion of our passage, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we've mentioned leading up to here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been alluding to and talking about what awaits him on the cross. He's letting his disciples know gently and with increasing urgency that what he's going to undergo on the cross, it's not an inspiring example that they'll be able to look to and follow. It's not a, a protest that goes as far as he can push it. No, Jesus' death does something. We see in Verse 45, he puts words to that in describing his death as a ransom. The Son of Man did not come to serve, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what comes to mind when you hear the word ransom? Right now, I think of, unfortunately, ransomware attacks. It feels like these are in the news every several weeks. And I'm not going to laugh at them because I went and got gas a few months ago because of one, you know. I guess I'm part of the problem in that case. 
but I think of ransomware attacks when I hear that. And that's when a hacker will infiltrate a computer system. They'll demand a payment, a ransom, to cease manipulating with a person or with a company's servers. And as soon as that ransom is paid, the one paying it, whether it's an individual or an entity, they've secured a release. Their systems are cleared. Often their bank accounts are a little cleared, but they're able to then proceed without impediment. Jesus is telling his disciples here in Mark 10 that his death, his sacrifice, it's going to secure a release for his people. Through Jesus' sacrifice, people are going to be receiving this ransom. They're going to be freed from their captivity to another power. And they're going to be restored to membership in this community that responds to God's reign. There's another power that's holding them captive that Jesus' death on the cross will free them from. These words are not just for the disciples as Jesus spoke them. They're for us today too. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, work that is finished, that is sealed and delivered, frees each of us from captivity to any other power. And it restores each of us to membership into this community that is the church that corresponds to God's reign. So as we prepare to start thinking about this ransom and this sacrifice together through communion, I want you to think about what these other powers are in your life. Whether big or whether small, there are different things in life that distract us and that pull us away from being the person that God wants us to be fully. Now, God's, uh, Jesus' ransom frees us from that, but there are things that exist that we can't ignore that we need to be prepared to confront in life. Thinking generally about a few, you might find yourself in a, in a position where you're grasping for authority or for power, like James and John were. And if you find yourself trying to climb that ladder or grab that power, know that Jesus frees you from that hunger and that thirst for that to be your satisfaction. It might be that you live with a dark cloud of feeling inadequate or unfulfilled in what you're pursuing. If that's another power that's distracting you from God's intentions for you, that's something that Jesus frees you from. You could be struggling with addiction, or you could be crippled by guilt to the point where you no longer see yourself as the person God sees you to be. Jesus frees you from that through the ransom as well. And one other example that I think can cut deep for a lot of us, maybe you feel that God alone isn't enough for you. You trust God. You trust God to order your paths and to generally set yourself up to do what's right, but you might have contingencies and take matters into your own hands in certain arenas in life. If that's a power that pulls you away from fully trusting God, Jesus frees you from that too. So as we take the bread and the cup this morning in communion, 
I encourage you to take some time through prayer to identify what in life might be hindering your full trust in God. I've named some, some hypothetical powers. I encourage you to name those powers in your life in prayer. And be reminded, be encouraged that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you. All the systems are clear, the ransom has been paid, and you are released from any other force that might pull you off course. So this is a freedom that we need to be prepared to receive. Just a final bit on this community. I could do a, a whole nother sermon on this, but I'll, I'll keep it short. When, in giving his life as a ransom, Jesus restores us personally on a one-on-one -on -one level, but also invites us into a new community. I don't know that James and John really grasped or knew that they wanted to be into this new community that Jesus is ushering in. With Jesus as our, our ransom, we serve a ruler who doesn't lord power over us, like he was telling the disciples, but who became like us, who lived sinless, and who served to save us, that we might be saved to serve others. When we accept this gift, our priorities are jumbled up so much in a beautiful way that they lie within God's vision for the world and for this new community, the church. Everything, uh, so much in scripture, I think, uh, trickles downstream into God's people being the church and serving the world, the community, together representing Jesus as his hands and feet. And when I say church, yes, I'm talking about OTCC, us here in the sanctuary, us worshiping online this morning, but I'm talking about the church of the world too, and the church of the past throughout the ages, and the church that I believe is building to offer and provide hope through this new community in the years to come in our future. This ransom is really the start of what's to come for someone who dedicates their life to God. When we realize that we're redeemed and that we're forgiven, we're then propelled into this community where we equip one another, where other people's strengths make up for our weaknesses, and where collectively we bear witness to who God is, how God redeems, and how God brings hope to others. We're part of that story in a significant way here as OTCC, but we're also part of that story as God's church in the world. And it kind of gives me goosebumps just to think about that. We're a piece of just a massive story that God is working in the world. And people in God's church across Alexandria and across the globe this morning and throughout the ages have been worshiping, and it looks a little different in different places, but across the world and you know, all the way back to the first century, they have been remembering the ransom together through communion. So I'm going to invite Hank to come play. This morning, we're going to share in communion together. You'll have a, a kit on your chair if you're worshiping from home. I encourage you to find that now as we continue to dwell on this ransom and what Jesus has done for us.
Jesus has so much patience with us. The disciples often asked questions like we see James and John ask this morning. Questions that I think some of us might just totally lose faith and hope in uh, an accomplice or a follower uh, if they were as off base. But Jesus has patience with his disciples. He has patience with us. And Jesus' patience with his disciples led him to a meal, the night of his betrayal. Imagine so much going through his mind. He knew what was coming. He knew he was about to be betrayed by Judas and turned over. And he continued to humbly teach and to show that this order that he was bringing in uh, was one of leadership through service and through sacrifice. So to help teach that, after they'd eaten their meal, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant my blood shed for you. In the same way, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. As we close in song this morning, I encourage you to sing the words if that's how God's leading you, or I encourage you to listen and pray if that's how God's leading you. And consider the question, how am I receiving this ransom? Hank's going to play for us a song, Come to the Altar. And I encourage you to come to the altar, whether that's through prayer where you are, whether you want to come forward and pray, uh, whether you want to make commitments to God uh, in your time with him as we continue and close worshiping through song now. So I invite you to stand and remember with gratitude Jesus' sacrifice and the ransom 